I see the crystal raindrops fall <laughs> and the beauty of it all. Now, I'll let you folks <laughs> ponder that while I get into it. It's one o'clock here on the East Coast, top of the hour. Guy Adami here today. <laughs> I'm joined by EY from SoFi because Dan has the day off. Dan is traveling. Good for him. We'll talk about that probably next week as to where he is currently and where he has been when we get back to it next Tuesday. Today's episode of Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app, sister. And of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. Check them out on the Twitter at Open Exchange TV. You heard those lyrics, EY. Do you know what that is? No. I, I thought can. maybe you would just read us poetry for the whole episode. You know, I've, it's funny you say that, and we're going to get into the, and we're going to talk about the markets, people. Relax. Uh, I've actually done part of Fast Money in haiku form over the years, and maybe I'll do that again at some point here on Market Call. But no, I hear the crystal raindrops fall, and the beauty of it all is a lyric from the great Bill Withers and Grover, I believe, Washington Jr. Just the two of us is the name of the song. Ah. And you know what? Today, it is, in fact, just the two of us. So it welcome. It sure is. Thank you. I Thank can see you. how excited you are. I can see just it's it's emanating from you. The enthusiasm yeah. is just a, Well, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? We're unsupervised today. That, we was, are unsupervised. They, that, was, no. that was a rhyme. And it's interesting you bring up cats and mice. Well, let's bring <laughs> up another animal at the top of the show. That would be a bass. By the way, I know you folks from Wisconsin do like the fish. Kyle Bass making news today. And we're going to take a look at this saying, you know, he feels the recession. It's, it's imminent. It's upon us. It's coming. What are your thoughts here, EY, before we get into the markets? Yeah. Okay. Everybody loves calling this. It's like three, three weeks ago, everybody wanted to call the bottom. A month ago, everybody wanted to call the top in inflation. Now everybody wants to call a recession. Look, there are some signals that we are headed for a slowdown. And I don't think that it's fruitful for anyone to try to predict whether or not it's actually going to turn into a recession. And as we all know, the market reacts first, the economy reacts later, or we at least find out about it later. And that's a lot of what I talked about in my note this week, that there is this lag time between what the market tells us and then what the economic data tells us. Now, I still maintain, I don't think we're going into a recession in 2022. I have no idea what happens in 2023. I'm just trying to focus on the second half of this year because the first half felt like it lasted four years. So when you look at the rest of this year, now there are a couple more things that I think still need to crack. And I think we need to get some data in that shows us that things are actually slowing down for a more extended period of time in order to fight the real enemy here, which is inflation. Mm -hmm. But we can do that without going into a recession. I agree with that, by the way. And, you know, I think everybody, to your point, I think since Mark Haynes passed away and he called the bottom of the market back in March, I guess, 09, whatever the hell it was, he did an extraordinary job there. I think everybody's trying to be the, try to be the next person that calls something, whether it's the top or the bottom. I think that's what we're seeing here, just people lining up to call tops, bottom, recession, no recession. And I don't think that does anybody any good. We, you know, we're trying to look forward and we're trying to prognosticate, but to try to be that person that draws that line in the sand, I think it's a bit of a fool's errand. And you know what is also interesting and I love is your the titles you come up with 
for your pieces. <laughs> I just totally dig. And, you know, I wait till Thursday to see what is EY going to come up with next. Oh. And this one is not the Sunday scaries, which, by the way, this weekend you shouldn't have because, as you know, it is a long weekend. The Sunday of the middle of a long weekend, by the way, is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. No, this is not the Sunday scaries. This is, in fact, the slowdown scary. So please <laughs> opine. Yeah, well, I think our previous tweet, our previous screen just showed somebody who has the slowdown scaries. So when I'm talking about the slowdown scaries, here's what I made a point of in the piece. Mostly canary versus confirmation is the theme here. So we talk about canaries in the coal mine. Markets are the canaries in the coal mine. That canary started chirping back in November of 2021, and it was right. Now what we're getting is economic data, which is the confirmation, right? The market has been signaling this for months. Now we're finally getting data that confirms that we are, in fact, slowing down and that demand is, in fact, cooling. One of the things that I've been talking about for a month or so is that the Fed needs confirmation of inflation actually having peaked They're not going to get that for a few months. And then the next question is, how do they get that? How do we confirm that it actually peaked? Well, there are a few things that still needed to break down. One of the big ones was the housing market. So there were there were pieces of the market that were just relentlessly strong, not scared off by rising prices, not scared off by Fed rising rates. The housing market was one of those. And this week, it finally started to show meaningful cracks. So we had new home sales disappoint quite big. It's down 16.6% month over month. Obviously, we know that mortgage activity has slowed. Mortgage rates have risen. We needed to see that happen in order to start feeling like, okay, maybe we did see the peak in inflation. Now the rest of it is How quickly will it come down from that peak? And that's where you need things like commodity prices to slow down, which many of them have. I looked just before this just to make sure that they had actually, and I looked across the complex and think about the ones that are really sensitive to the housing market, right? Lumber and copper, both have slowed down. You need to see food prices slow down. You probably need to see rents relax. So there are a couple other things that need to happen still to confirm that this is actually the case. The last thing that happens is the labor market cracks. And we're starting to see some uptick in initial jobless claims, some in continuing claims. I don't think that that sees a huge spike. I don't think we see the labor market fall apart, but you do need to see some relaxation there too. By the way, I think you would submit correctly, and I agree with this. I think these are all good things that you're bringing up. This needed to happen because unabated, I mean, if this continued on the trajectory, we'd be in a lot worse problems that we currently find ourselves in. So maybe some of this jawboning from the Federal Reserve is in fact working. Clearly, it's working in terms of 30-year mortgage rates, which have doubled, and it's by definition going to slow things down. And I think you can see housing slow down without causing the market to crater. I think it's a natural progression here. And if it does it in a somewhat orderly fashion, I think, you know what? Good. Check that box because we're in a good thing. Now, you mentioned something. You know, I know you're from the Midwest, which I totally dig. They call them the flyover states. I don't. I actually like (laughs) to visit them. But in the state of Wisconsin, there are a lot of farms. And on those farms Uh are a lot of different animals. And one of those that I think, this is the time of year, by the way, coming off the Preakness, is horses. Uh And you mentioned that there's another horse leaving the barn. So for you, Katie Barr, the door fans out there, the barn door is in fact open and this horse is leaving it. Please tell me about this. Yeah. Speaking of other animals on the farm, I actually thought for a second there you were going to do a little old McDonald, but 
other animals on the farm. Can I tell you I, something? One of the most annoying things as a child is when the class would break <laughs> into a rendition of Old MacDonald. Maybe I was just born an old, crusty dude, but I never enjoyed that. I never took part in it. Maybe that's why I was sort of put in the back of the classroom as a young man. You just, Maybe that's why I'm as, as nasty and as ornery as I am these days. You didn't You didn't grow up enough uh, around enough farms. You would have loved Old MacDonald. And one of the other commodities that I looked up before this was cattle futures, <laughs> which, which are also down, by the way. <laughs> so, okay, horses out of the barn. The housing market was one of the last horses that I was waiting for to come out of the barn, right? And these horses, these aren't good things to come out of the barn. We needed some of the bad things to come out of the barn. Now, I think the labor market still needs to come out. And the other horse that's still in there is earnings expectations. Those probably need to come out as well, meaning they need to come down. Now, this is a conversation I've had with a few people this week and last week talking about just the reaction that the consumer can have, because that seems to be the big debate lately, too, is the consumer is still so strong. Some people agree with that. Some people say it's breaking. The difference, I think, in opinion is more about the timing of it. So think about just us as consumers, right? I can sit here today and say, okay, you know what? For the last couple of weeks, I have actually felt affected by inflation. I'm going to chill out for a little while. I'm going to change the way that I shop for groceries. I'm going to pause on that one vacation or make a different decision. I can make that decision immediately and change my behavior. Mm -hmm. The companies that suffer from my decision aren't going to tell us about it for another quarter. The economy is going to suffer from my decision. We don't know about that for at least a month, probably a quarter. So there's just this lag time between what the consumer can do, which is the consumer is very fickle. And that's where I think people are missing some of this is that, yes, the consumer is strong. They want to spend. Yes, they still have savings, but they also can change their minds and change their spending patterns very quickly. And they do. They are very affected by sentiment. They are very affected by the narrative that goes on. So, yeah. We well, shouldn't no underestimate about it. it. I'll just sort of just to build on that. We saw that in October, we saw that in the fall of 2018 mm-hmm. you know, when the market started going down in an extraordinarily precipitous fashion. Consumer spending stopped on a dime yep. from Thanksgiving until Christmas Eve of that year, and that was on the back of a market that was selling off. So, to your point, consumer spending can absolutely stop. I would submit, and I think you may agree with this. I don't think the target or the Walmart quarters were an indictment or an endorsement for that matter of the consumer, the health of the consumer. To me, it was mm-hmm. both in both cases, just operational. I think Walmart operationally just blew it. I mean, they whiffed big time, a 32% inventory build. I don't think you can go back in history of Walmart and look at a build like that. 8% is typically where it gets worrisome. So you can do the math. 32% is a real problem and target the same thing. So it's more an indictment of how they operate and how they try to navigate through. Would, listen, our difficult times. What I would say, though, 35% move in a name like Target in the course of a day or two I don't know where that comes from, but it's not particularly healthy. And then we're going to look at the S&P in a second. But I see things like that and I say, whoa, this market, the mechanism of the market is still, I don't want to say broken, but it's still sort of, it's problematic. Yeah, the reactions are still overstated. So this isn't over yet. This volatility is not over yet because the market is still overreacting to both positive and negative news. Even on relief rally days, we go up too far, right? And I think, and I I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but the Target and Walmart earnings, there are a lot of people saying, oh, well, it wasn't consumer spending. It wasn't because consumers stopped spending. That's true, but they started spending on other stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason we measure durable goods versus non-durable goods, right? You buy durable goods, which are the bigger ticket items, when you're feeling pretty good. 
if you're not feeling as good, you don't buy durable goods anymore, right? So maybe some of those bigger ticket purchases, TVs, washing machines, whatever the case may be, you hit pause on those and you shift into buying things that are lower priced. You're still spending maybe around the same amount of money, but that again, doesn't last forever. And that is an indicator of the consumer changing their behavior, even if the dollar amount hasn't gone down yet. No, the other thing that I think the, the inventory piece goes back to my previous point, companies can't react fast enough, right? And Target and Walmart are probably not the only ones who got the forecast wrong. There are going to be other companies who are gonna get their forecast wrong because of what I said before, the consumer can act so quickly that any forecast a company made a quarter ago is gonna be completely blown out of the water. Yeah, and we're gonna take a look at Costco in a few minutes for sure. Um, but you know, to that point, there obviously has been some great operators there have been some really poor operators. You look at the numbers out of Dollar Tree and Dollar Gen, and you're like, wow, how did they figure it out? And how did a place like Walmart and Target just completely whiff? And, you know, that's probably for another show. But the point is operation operations make a huge difference in this mm -hmm. environment. So it's not just a broad, widespread indictment of anything. It's more, I think, case by case. And we're seeing that play out in all these different stocks. Let's take a look at the S&P because, you know, Dan and I were on yesterday and we said, listen, Market's probably done enough work on the downside. We recently traded down to 38.10 in the S&P 500. That's coming off a low of, I think, 39.30 a couple weeks ago. So we are making lower lows, but we're seeing bounces along the way. And I would submit we're in the midst of one of those bounces now. Now, I look at this and say, you know what? Again, 200-day moving average is still rolling over. We're probably still in a bit of a bear market here. But these bear market rallies are violent. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. More so because, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're obviously getting ready for a holiday weekend. There's that old adage, don't short a dull market. Not that anything dull about what's going on. But you know, as we get towards Friday, I think you're going to start to see this thing continue just to levitate. What are your thoughts here? Broader market. Yeah. So I think there's a temptation every day to be like, oh, this is it. This is my chance, right? Whether it's to buy or to sell. You get a rip in the market and people are like, oh, this is my chance to exit that position finally. Or we get another dip and everybody tries to buy the dip. I talked about this earlier in the week on overtime that this is a time when if you have cash that you want to put to work, and, and I mean, if you have cash because you sold earlier in the year, maybe you took some gains, you wanted to protect some larger positions, if it's sitting around, you can start dripping it in the market, but I would do just that. You do little bits at a time because to your point, we're making lower lows. So you might put a position on today, buy a little bit more next week, and next week price is actually lower than today's, right? But over time, you're averaging in around the bottom-ish, right? And that's, I think, the best we can do right now. I don't think the market calms down and starts to really find durable upside until the second half of June. And the reason I say that is because we're going to have one more Fed meeting, we're going to have another CPI print, and then we're going to start to get into second quarter earnings. And we're going to start to hear, obviously in July, we're going to start to hear guidance from companies. And that's where things start to come to fruition that, okay, let's say earnings get guided down a little bit. We get more realistic about that. Let's say CPI continues to come down. The Fed does its next big hike, and then we hear more from them about, oh, it might be working, right? We can start to relax a little bit on the volatility, but we're sitting here May 26th. That means we still have two and a half, two or three weeks of this. And I would be cautious in that period to not declare premature victory. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think the end of June might be a tad early, but I'm with you in terms of what I was thinking all along this year. I thought the first half of this year would be dicey. That's proven to be correct. 
And I thought the second half, we really could have a gangbuster market more towards the fall, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. With that said, there's some names or levels that I never thought in my wildest dreams they'd get to. Dan and I talk about it all the time, and I know you talk about it on that great show, The Halftime Report, and also the OT, where you're a member of the IC. But I digress here. Let's take a look at some of these sectors, because I will tell you, as wrong as I am most of the time, this energy has just been crazy. I mean, energy year-to-date in form of XLE is up almost 60%. I mean, that's just extraordinary if you think about it. And I know this was a theme that you were on most of last year, and you really haven't wavered all that much. Energy is a stalwart here. And I will tell you just my opinion. The zero COVID policy in China has provided a bit of a headwind, hasn't really slowed it down. But when that comes off the table, I think that headwind will abate, become a tailwind. And I think there's more room to the upside here. What are your thoughts on energy? Yeah, I mean, the interesting part. So when I talked about it earlier in the year, it was more that prices had spiked to a point that started to become worrisome, right? Because usually you see a big spike in crude prices before a recession. Well, we had the big spike and then things sort of relaxed. We didn't go completely out of control, which was a positive. The shocking part is that energy stocks just continued to rise completely unabated. And there's been a lot still to be had there as an investor. I think, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, I think it's okay to take some gains in energy. And in my personal portfolio, I did that. I started to take some gains and taking some gains in the commodity complex. Now, there's different things that are going to affect energy than are going to affect the rest of commodities. Energy in particular, obviously dependent on what's going on in Asia. And there's that added element of the Ukraine war. So energy is probably going to act different from the rest of the complex. But I do think If we expect that the peak in inflation is behind us, if we expect that this is going to work, demand is going to slow, it's okay to start taking gains here. This is this is a time. This is a time, guy. No, you sell sell the rips. You're not going to, as they used to say to me in my early days in the 1980s, nobody ever went broke taking a profit. And I think that's absolutely true here in energy without question. Could you see a meaningful sell-off? I mean, especially if you start seeing some of these inflation numbers ratchet down and the calls for recessions continue. I mean, they could take the air out of the sales of energy without question. I just happen to think that the fundamentals there are still in place. And when you bring China back online, it's just going to add to that. For you playing our market call bingo, please toggle back to the screen that we were previously on where we could take a look at the different sectors. I'm teasing a bit here because as bad as the financials had been for so many months this year, they all seem to be getting off the mat. I mention that because we're doing a little segment here called, because we're not always dour. As a matter of fact, (laughs) EY is never dour. What can go right? And I think for your what can go right, you're staring straight at the financials. By the way, I will tell you, Amanda asked me that question earlier today, and my answer was the financials. She said, you can't take that. Uh, (laughs) Elizabeth did already. So please opine. Yeah, I I got in there first. Okay, this is one of those juicier calls. And if you think about just common wisdom right now, people are worried about a slowdown. So you might ask me, why in the world would you buy financials? If Liz, we're why towards, in the world would you buy financials? If we're towards the end of the cycle. Because the end of the cycle. I think that we spend so much time worrying about everything that could go wrong. What if it goes right? And here's the thing. What are, what's our biggest worry right now? It's inflation. Then next layer down, what's the worry about that? That it's going to cause a slowdown in growth. What if... Inflation starts to come down, the Fed tightens enough, and then they take a little pause and say, you know what, we're going to let the economy try to work this out on its own. We're not going to do such a strong hammer anymore for the second half of the year. 
And that'll sound like a dovish pivot to the market. If we avoid recession, if we don't have the growth slowdown, the growth scaries that everybody has right now, you see a cyclical bounce. And financials had gotten beaten up pretty badly end of last year, early this year, I think overly beaten up. And that's one sector that I think could really see some positive returns if that's the case. Yeah, I agree with you, by the way. And we talked about, I think it was a week and a half ago or, or so on Fast Money, we did a segment called So Bad, They're Good. And I brought up financials during that. And it makes a lot of sense. Now, I think they had another day or two of sell-off. But when JP Morgan got down to about 1.65, 1.7 times price to tangible book, what I said on the show that night and what I'll reiterate here is we haven't seen that stock specifically at those times of valuations in quite some time. Now, I don't think it was justified to get it close to 2.8 times at its zenith back in the fall, but I also don't think it should be trading at the same tangible book value in terms of price of tangible book as Bank of America. So that was sort of the premise of my call, and that's starting to play out, so I'm with you. I get to play this game as well, and I had to take my second choice in the NFL draft, which, by the (laughs) way, sometimes works out, because if you were picking first and you took Ryan Leaf, that sucked. And I guarantee nobody had Ryan Leaf on their bingo card. But I'm looking at EY as materials. And for the same reasons I talked about energy, I think the materials, same thing. The air was taken out of the sales here. A lot of recession calls, I get it. China taken offline, I get it. A lot of these stocks, you look at Alcoa, Freeport, McMoran, U.S. Steel, all taken out to the woodshed on the back of all that. But if you do think in the second half things are going to start to recover, if China comes back online, if the Fed starts to pivot away a little bit, I think it's going to sort of open the floodgates for these material names. Now, they have traded sideways for quite some time. We're sort of testing that 200-day average, which has not rolled over yet, which is encouraging. And I think if we can get just a glimmer of good news, I think the materials in the form of that ETF could look really interesting. Just quick thoughts before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. I always get worried when there's a trading range like that, because I think that stocks and sectors get stuck in it for longer than really makes sense. Maybe materials has already been stuck in it for a long enough period of time. I actually have a materials position in my own portfolio. So that's why I hope you're right, because I've just been waiting and, and watching it, but I haven't added to it. So maybe this is a chance to add to it a little bit and wait for that cyclical bounce. And that, But that's the same theme, right? If we get a cyclical bounce, materials should participate in that as well. People zig when they should zag often, and sometimes we find ourselves behind the proverbial eight ball. I don't know if you're a fan, by the way, of the great Paul Newman, who was in, if you think about some of the movies he's been in, when he was in The Hustler as a young man, unbelievable portrayal, along with one Jackie Gleason, who, by the way, was able to play pool for those <laughs> folks playing our home game. But you know who's behind the eight ball? Clearly, UBS in terms of Kraft Heinz. I mean, hello, have you seen the chart? UBS downgrades (laughs) Kraft Heinz. Now, I'm not here to cast aspersions. I'm sure the people at UBS are lovely people. It's a Swiss bank. I've been to Switzerland, but you're really not doing me any good. When you downgrade a stock, slide it, Earl, after a move of the magnitude that we've just seen. Oh, oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that downgrade. I mean, look, I get it. I'm not trying to be a wise guy. I'm wrong all the time, and I own up to it because that's what we do. But this is when analysts just, again, sort of zig when they should zag. Now, I would submit Kraft Heinz is probably getting pretty interesting here for a myriad of different reasons. Maybe we'll overshoot to those other lows that we saw a few months ago. But in terms of valuation, you could start saying, you know what, things can be compelling here. 
again, I'm not looking for you to do it because you're much nicer than I am. So don't make fun of them. But you understand what I'm saying here in terms of what have you, you know, thanks for nothing type of downgrade here. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this on some other names. First of all, I don't think they eat Oscar Mayer in Switzerland. So maybe they just haven't had the product enough. But it's easy to downgrade something after it's fallen, just like it's easy to upgrade something after it's ripped, right? But you're usually behind on that call. So I don't know. I have a soft spot in my heart for Kraft Heinz. I have two uncles that had long and illustrious careers with the company. I have eaten a lot of macaroni and cheese in my day. <laughs> so you, just out of curiosity, again, not that I'm sure, you know, if Dan were here, he'd be rolling his uh, <laughs> lovely eyes, by the way. But do you have your own mac and cheese? And if the answer is yes... Do you put like accoutrement, like breadcrumbs, or some people put like bacon, or even for those really out there on the curve, put like chorizo or sausage? Yeah, no, I don't put meat in it. And I don't make it homemade very often. Uh, And if I do, it's just like in a pan on the stove, not in the oven. It's not a baked situation. It's like, you know, scoop it out of a saucepan kind of thing. So it's the box. It's with the powdered I'm not against the box. Yeah. Now, listen, yeah. it's all I mean, good. I mean, I might find myself enjoying a box this evening as I watch the New York Rangers play the Hurricanes of Carolina. In Carolina, game a pivotal game five, which they typically are. We got to look at just real quick XLP because this is interesting as well. Why not? Because that's what we do here. You look at this huge sell-off. Now, this stock, if you, if you look at this ETF, it looks remarkably like Kraft Heinz, Consumer Staples. We had Carter Worth talking about this a week or so ago. I think if you look at this chart, please toggle back to the Kraft Heinz chart, folks. Again, toggle. So you see what happened there. Now toggle again, please. Now you look what subsequently happened. You see this bounce now that we've seen in this ETF. I would submit, toggle back, that this downdraft, you're going to see the exact same thing happen in Kraft Heinz as we're about to see please toggle again, as this one here. <laughs> Thoughts on that? Because I am just producing on the fly. I think everybody gets a dollar for every time guy says toggle. I just like uh, that word, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I think the pattern would make sense. And look, consumer staples, along with utilities, have done pretty well this year, given everybody's fear. And you know, then they sort of sold off because other things started ripping. But I think there's still a place for them in the portfolio. Target and Walmart obviously weighed on the sector for a while there, but there's still a place for them in the portfolio. And I think some of those food companies that are staples are going to be important for the rest of the year. That was a great song, by the way, in West Side Story, the original, A Place for Us. I, you know, Natalie Wood, I don't think Natalie Wood sang. I know Rita Moreno did, extraordinarily talented woman. I think one of the few actors or actresses that has won all the major awards in his or her mm-hmm. lifetime. Good for her. I haven't seen the new one. In terms of A Place for Us, well, some of these retailers, there's definitely been a place for them. Look at this next screen because we've seen some remarkable moves out of these last three that have reported, Dollar Tree and Dollar Gen, mm-hmm. two names that I've talked about for a while. And I was actually a little scared going in, given what we heard from Walmart and Target. I think Macy's is its own story. And again, I'm not looking to play stock market here. One of the big concerns about Costco has been valuation. So in this environment, they better say something good. The question mark is there because we're about to hear from Costco. Now, the good news is the stock, like many, have been taken out to the woodshed. I would submit they come out with a surprise, even just a remote surprise or a small surprise to the upside. And this stock can get all the way back to that uptrend line that we broke. Again, I'm not asking you to play stock market here, but just thoughts about retailers in general. 
Well, if we can toggle back, I'm going to do oh. this now too, to those. Yep. Think about what these companies do. These are not durable goods companies, right? You're going to Costco to buy cereal in bulk. You're going to Costco to buy toilet paper in bulk. Dollar Tree and Dollar General, you're buying smaller goods, right? Macy's, again, actually kind of turned into more of a discount retailer in the apparel space. So these are not the companies that are going to get hit by that same shift in consumer behavior that you're seeing some of the other ones get hit. So I think that this is good news. I think it's good news that consumers are still spending money in these stores. But I also think it's an indication that behavior has changed. We just have to hope that behavior changes and doesn't completely stop. Do you want to know what the definition of wishful thinking is? I'm going to give it to you regardless of whether or not you want to hear it. Now, I am 58 years old. I hope that I make it to sort of octogenarian status, which would put me in my 80s. And we can do the math as to when I get there. But yes, but wishful thinking, and I see it all the time when I go to Costco, are the two older, you know, the older couples walking around with a large basket with 60 rolls of toilet paper in it. That is the epitome of wishful thinking. Now, you know, I would just sort of play it by day by day and grab a roll or two, but they're out there. Really? 60. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I feel like that's something you got to have a backup supply of. <laughs> you don't want to run out, right? No, no, you don't want to run out of TV. You understand what I'm saying though? At that age, you know, a lot I of do. people going day by day, which is another song, <laughs> which I want to get into before we get out of here, EY, and we're down towards the bottom of the hour. That would be one thirty. What we do on each Thursday is bring in Mr. Butters, and he does extraordinary work. And this work, again, an earnings call from Mr. Butters. Let's take a look at it. Slide it, Earl, because you know what? Companies are using Ukraine on their earnings call. Now, what I found fascinating, again, not to cast aspersions, but NVIDIA reported yesterday, I didn't think it was a bad quarter. I didn't think it was a terrible guide either, given the environment. The stock sold off in the after hours, but they used Russia, Ukraine is an excuse. And I guess my point is, and you've done this for a while as well, when you have the opportunity to sort of throw out all these things in terms of excuses, apparently companies are taking advantage of that. Yep, they are. And you know what? I think it's setting them up to guide down for the second half of the year. And whatever excuse they want to use is fine. It's really just the causes of inflation, the causes of increased costs. And that's the end game here is to get those costs back down. So if they want to use supply chain issues, if they want to use shortages around the globe of other things as excuses of why their costs are up, that's fine. I think it's going to continue. We're going to hear in the second quarter earnings season, probably a lot of the same, that costs are up. We have to make different changes. I don't think that's going to end, I, but I do think that second quarter earnings is going to be a really interesting set of data. Over your right shoulder, is that a floating cabinet or some sort? Of, and on that floating cabinet, are they like DVDs or CDs or books. What, what do you got? Books. Paper books. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. It's, a, think, it's like one of those leaning bookcases. It doesn't float. It just leans. No, I, I just said float came to my mind. And a lot of oh. people like the floating thing. That's very, yeah. that's de rigueur, as the <laughs> French say. But we're... We're out of time. I mean, it went by, that 30 minutes went by like that. See me snap those fingers? Mm -hmm. uh, quickly, will we be seeing you on the OT today? Yes or no? No. No. Nope. I'm done for the week. Done for the week. No. Actually, Bloomberg report. TV tomorrow. Really? Yeah. 
That's outstanding. I'm going to have to Keen. flip my dial. Tom Keen. Please tell Tom that G Swizz says hi. But yeah. folks, that's it. Dan Nathan, if you're watching this in replay, I hope you enjoyed it because I certainly did. I know EY did. Brewers got a big weekend series playing great baseball, mid-market team. They are not a small market team. Of course, <laughs> oh, the thanks. are a large market team playing at a 31 and 13 record, which if you do have that math out, that gets them about 108 wins, thereabouts, doesn't matter because as Yankee fans, it's not about the regular season. It's about October. The rest of you fans enjoy your regular season, but that's it for me. That was Market Call. Thanks to our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, Open Exchange. Check those cats out at Open Exchange TV on the Twitter. Check Liz out on the Twitter. If you're not following her, you're doing it wrong. We're not going to be here on Monday because that's Memorial Day. Enjoy your holiday and remember why we're celebrating on Monday. And have a fantastic weekend. EY, I am 5,000. See ya.